this evening, chapter 20. This is, for our study this evening, this is a continuation of our auditorium class uh, this morning. This morning in the auditorium class, we're focusing on Proverbs and the home. This morning, we focused on Proverbs and, and wives, wives. And this morning during class, we noticed what the book of Proverbs said about the excellent wife, Proverbs 12, verse 4, and about the prudent wife, Proverbs 19, 14, the virtuous woman, Proverbs 31, verse 10. Proverbs concludes in Proverbs 18 and 22, that whoever finds such a wife finds a good thing and obtains a favor from the Lord. And so um, this evening, still thinking about the home, but thinking more broadly about the home, let's start in Proverbs 20, verse 7. Proverbs 20 and verse 7. Where it says that the righteous man who walks in his integrity his children will be blessed after him. The righteous man who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. So we simply want to ask the question, how is this so? How is this? That is, how are his children blessed? How are the children of the righteous blessed? How are the children of the righteous blessed? We want to stay in the book of Proverbs as much as possible this evening as we answer this question, how are the children of the righteous blessed? Okay. First of all, they have his example. They have his example. Proverbs 4 23 to 27 talks about our example. They have his example. A righteous man, according to Proverbs 4.23, keeps his heart with all diligence. He also keeps his tongue from going crooked. Also reading there in Proverbs 4. He also ponders the path of his feet. He keeps his eye on the goal. And as he ponders the path of his feet, he makes sure he doesn't go to the right nor to the left, that he stays on the path. And so one blessing of the children of the righteous parents is they have their example. They have his uh, example. The Apostle Paul always put his example out there for people to follow. For example, in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 1, Paul said, Be ye imitators of me as I follow or imitate Jesus Christ. And parents, we need to ask the question often, can I recommend my faith and my religion like the Apostle Paul did to everyone? Again, from the words of Paul in Philippians 4 and verse 9, he says, the things which you have seen and heard and received and learned from me, these things do, and the God of peace will be with you. So Paul 
put his example out there, and that's what parents need to do. And that's the blessing of the children of the righteous. They have their parents' example. Their example. Again, Paul's words in Philippians 4, verse 9, he says, he says what, you have, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, these things do, and the God of peace will be with you. We ought to be able to say that generally uh, to our to our children. Here's my example. You can follow it and you can you can learn to follow Christ on your own. I think about Enoch of Genesis 5, 21 and 22. I think about parents and sometimes I wonder about parents. I really do. Parents. Parents who are not following Jesus as they ought to. What has happened to their motivation? Have they not been able to look around and see, see the goodness of God? Have they not been introduced to the goodness of God through Jesus and the cross? Have they not looked into the mirror and seen a weak and sinful person? If none of those things have motivated a parent, what about actually having children? You would think if nothing else has motivated me to look into the eternal things, to look into the spiritual things, surely now that I'm responsible for the well-being of children in my household, that would motivate me. Genesis 5, 21 speaks of Enoch, and Enoch lived, it says here, Enoch lived 65 years, and then he begat Methuselah. And after that, it says he walked with God after he begat Methuselah. He walked with God for the next 300 years, and he died at the, the age of 365. But it seems, it seems rather clear there that his walk with God was enhanced once he became the father of Methuselah. You would think that that would motivate us. Now that I've got a household, now that I've got children, I've got people depending on me. I've, God is depending on me. The Lord has instructed me to bring, bring, bring these folks up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. You would think that that would, that would be a motivating factor. But the blessings of children of the righteous is they have the example of a righteous father, they have the example of righteous parents. It's such a great blessing. One thing that children can say later is, if my parents were able to do it, if my grandparents were able to do it in the conditions that they faced, then surely I can follow God with all of my heart as well. Good parents will relate to their children all the, all the conditions of, of what they faced growing up and the conditions that they faced when they were first married and the conditions they faced when they were bringing up their children in the Lord and they share that with their children and later the children can say if they were able to endure if they were able to be godly under those conditions and surely I can I can raise my family uh, in a righteous way you have your own examples that you can remember from from your parents and those ought to motivate us to be more godly every day my father-in-law 
would go to India, but he also would go to other countries. And one year he went to Bangladesh where he had never been before. He had never met anybody there. Some of the folks in Bangladesh had never seen a white man before they saw my father-in-law. And so the only way they had of communicating back in those days was by letter, an actual letter. Brother Ken, pen, paper, letter. So it, it would take something like two to three weeks for a letter to arrive from the States to a place like Bangladesh. Okay. So when you go to those countries, you need somebody to take you around. You need a translator and you need somebody to take you around to see where you need to go. So in this year, when he arrived at the airport in Bangladesh, his translator, which he'd, whom he had never met, was going to be holding up a card, piece of cardboard box, piece of a cardboard box that's going to have his name on it. And that's how he would know who his translator was going to be, and that's how he would know where to go and who to follow. And so I think about that often. If, if they could do it in, under those conditions, then what about us today under, under our conveniences today? And so it says here in Proverbs 20 and verse 7, that the righteous man walks in his integrity and his children, is, they're blessed after him. They have his example. Secondly, this evening, they also have his memories. They have his memories. Staying right here in Proverbs 10, verse 7. Look at Proverbs 10 and verse 7. Be sure to underline this. But it says that the memory of the righteous is blessed. Or some translations have the memory of the, of the righteous is precious. The memory of the righteous is, plus, is uh, precious. Proverbs 10 and uh, verse number 7. We were living in the Montgomery area. I remember hearing about a gospel meeting at a congregation called Panama Street Church of Christ. And so one evening we went. And I don't really remember who the speaker was, but I remember who led the first prayer. And his name was James Watkins, Brother Watkins. Brother Watkins in those days preached at the Landmark Church of Christ. Um, back in those days. And the memory I have is of his prayer. I can, I can tell you some of the words he used in that prayer. But I walked away thinking, this man's not just a gospel preacher, he's a man of God. And it made an impression. You see, we have, we have the memories of righteous parents. We have their memories. And you have your memories. But anyone who lives a righteous life creates memories. Do you remember when you first learned to work? Guys, you remember when you first learned to work? You remember when your dad really started teaching you how to work and what it meant to work? Physical work? Do you remember, ladies, what it was like for to actually start doing the very things that you're your mother had been doing, you've been watching your mother do these things for a long time now, you're able and you're, she's wanting you to learn to do these things. I remember being in middle school and it was, it was that time of year where we were going to clear off the spot for our, our regular garden 
And my dad came up to me with a sling blade, bought a new sling blade for me. He had his over. And I remember going out there and sling blading away, clearing the spot for the garden that year. We have, we have the memories of our righteous parents. That's the blessing. That is a tremendous um, blessing. Someone has said that sometimes we do not value a moment in life until it turns into a memory. Sometimes we don't see the value of a moment until later when it has turned into a memory. That's often the case. It seems like Mary, the mother of Jesus, was on top of her thoughts because you remember Jesus has been born, Luke chapter 2, and the shepherds come. The shepherds had received a, a, both a vision, a presence, and also a speech from the angels of the Lord telling them all about the Savior that had been born. It's, he's in a manger. He's wrapped in swaddling clothes. And this is the very one that's going to bring uh, peace to the earth, glory to God in the highest. And the shepherds come and find Mary and Joseph and find the baby, Jesus. And it says, as they spoke these things to them, Luke 2, uh, 19, it says that Mary treasured these things up in her heart. And she pondered upon these things. And again, later when Jesus was age 12 and they, they lost track of him in Jerusalem, same chapter, Luke chapter 2, but when they found him, they saw him discussing religious matters with, with the priest and other teachers in the temple area. It says Luke 2.51, again, Mary treasured these things up in her heart. Her treasuring these moments would serve her well later because after she has endured the suffering of her son there at the cross and she has uh, come to realize and, and be able to see and spend time with him after his resurrection. Now he's ascended back up on high. She is there with the disciples and the other women there, Acts 1, 13 and 14. She's there, she's praying, she's, she's showing her devotion to her Lord uh, in those days. Surely these memories that she treasured up uh, concerning her son helped her grow in her faith. And so we have their memories. We have their memories. Staying right here in the book of Proverbs, in the third place, we have their works. We have their works. Proverbs 16, verse 3. Proverbs 16, verse 3 says, Commit your works unto the Lord, and he will establish your plans. Commit your works unto the Lord. That's what a righteous man does. He commits his works unto the Lord and the Lord will establish his plans. Some people get this all wrong and they, they approach a statement like this and they, they make a decision. They, they, they decide, I'm going to do this and then I'm going to pray to the Lord about it and then if I get to do this, then they call that a work of the Lord and he must have established it. Okay, That's not the way it goes. A righteous man understands what the works of the Lord are first. He understands what the works of the Lord are. And then he commits himself to the works of the Lord. And then the Lord then will see to it. The Lord will guide him in his endeavors. Today the works of the Lord are to share the gospel of Jesus as much as possible. 
The works of the Lord are to help those who are in need, and the works of the Lord are to help a weak brother or sister and be stronger in the faith. Those are the works that we should be committed to today. That's what righteous people uh, do. We have their works. We have their works. You see, by having the works of our parents or those that have gone before us, we can build upon those. That's what the Lord would expect us to do. We, need, we can build upon those. We recall when Jesus was speaking with the, the woman at Jacob's well in the area of Samaria, John chapter 4, that she come to realize, and, and actually Jesus, John 4, 25, he reveals to her that he is the Messiah that she's been hearing about. And so, John 4, 28, as she recognized who Jesus is, she leaves her water pot, and she goes to her family members, she goes to her friends, she says, she says, come see a man who told me all about myself. Come see this man. Could this be the Christ? And they just came. They came swarming out of the villages to hear the one that she was talking about. Well, later, several years later, the evangelist Philip, according to Acts 8, 5 through 12, the evangelist Philip comes into the very same area of Samaria and he preaches the gospel and, and many people uh, believe what they are hearing and they respond. Acts 8 and verse uh, 12, 11 and 12, Philip actually preached concerning the kingdom of Jesus and the name of Jesus and many, both men and women, were baptized for the remission of their sins. Notice how that Jesus had done initial work there in Samaria and then that allowed Philip to come and have even greater works to do uh, several years later. So we have their works and upon their works we can build we can build works for further works for the Lord. In 1 Corinthians 3, 6, 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 6, Paul writes, I planted, Apollos watered, and God gave their increase. Now he that plants is nothing, and he that waters is nothing, but God gives increase. You see how one person builds on the work of another. So we have the works of those who have gone before us. The righteous man, Proverbs 20 and verse 7, the righteous man walks in his integrity and his children are blessed after him. And one of those blessings is we have their works. We have their works. You see, oftentimes we can, we can benefit from their Bible study habits. From their Bible study habits. Do you know what the word Bosch means? B-O-S-H, Bosch. Do you know what that word means? Bosch. Okay. I don't either. Okay. But I was reading in a book that once belonged to Gus Nichols, generation, three or four generations ago now, two generations ago. Did you, did you know him personally? So before your generation, so four generations ago. But I was reading, I've got one of his books. And I was reading, and he made all kinds of notes in that book. And out to the side, he had put the word Bosch. And then put an exclamation point next 
to it. Okay. In other words, he didn't agree with that paragraph, so he put the word Bosch. Okay. And I benefited from, from his comments as he read that book. He was very critical of it, but he was reading it, that, this book in light of what Scripture says. So we can benefit from Bible study habits. Okay. One of the great things that parents can do is to have their own Bibles okay, and then write notes in your Bible. Okay, mark your Bibles. Write little notes in your Bible. As, as you learn things, then write, find blank pages, find little blank spots, and fill your Bible up. And this, the Lord doesn't come, and when you pass on, then your Bible can be a treasure for those who come after you, and they will value it very much. So we can build on their works, and one of those works is their Bible study habits. You can also build on the friends of your parents, the friends of your parents, because if you have righteous parents, then they have, they have made friends of people, and they, they're seeking to lead those people to Christ. Perhaps you still know some of those people. Perhaps some of those people can become friends of ours, and we can help lead them to Christ. We can follow right in the same works as those before us. In a couple of weeks, we will, uh, Lord willing, have one of our missionaries, uh, Daniel Gaines, uh, to come by here and give us a report. And Daniel goes to East Africa, and his father before him uh, made many mission trips. And his father before him made many mission trips, and he's able to walk in the very works. Whatever those works are, if there is a righteous man in the house, if there are righteous parents, then they're going to be involved in righteous works, and we have those to learn from. We have those that we can follow. So we have their example, we have their memories, according to the book of Proverbs, and we also have their works. But in the fourth place, we have their kindness that we can lean upon. We have their kindness. Now an interesting statement here in Proverbs 17 and verse 1. Proverbs 17 verse 1 says, Better is a dry morsel with quietness than a house that is full of feasting with strife. It's better to have just a small piece of bread to survive on if you've got God's peace than to have a house full of feasting with strife. We know that to be true, don't we? We know that to be, true, to be true. And a godly house will strive to have kindness and not strife in the household. I have, over the years, walked up to a lot of houses some of these houses, going to visit, some of these will be people I know, some of them are people I don't know. But on more than one occasion, as you get close to the house, you really don't want to go in. You don't really want to knock on this door because you hear all kinds of yelling and screaming going on inside. That puts you in a very difficult spot because what you want to do is to turn around and leave, but you're, you're fearful that perhaps they've already seen you in the driveway and so you feel obligated to go anyway. But there are houses, there are families who struggle with strife. Strife. 
This morning as we spoke of godly women, we also spoke of ungodly women. And one of the traits of ungodly women, according to the book of Proverbs, is a quarrelsome nature. Strife. Strife. And you have been there. And I have been there. One of the places sometimes you run into a lot of family strife is at funerals. And more than once, uh, I've been involved in funeral situations, really nobody from here, but I do funerals of, of a lot of different uh, people. In fact, when I moved here years ago, I went to the funeral home directors and I said, if you ever have a family that does not have a preacher for a funeral service, I'll be glad to do it. I, in my mind, it's better to be able to introduce people to the gospel uh, in any setting that you can find a way of doing it. And so um, I, I found myself in a lot of different settings around funerals, and oftentimes you can, cut, you can cut the tension. You can almost cut it with a knife uh, because uh, they have been estranged. They've been, they've been fighting for a long time. They're forced to come together now that there's someone who has passed away, but uh, you can just feel and uh, you can see the tension that is there. You know, we recognize surgeons today, and surgeons use knives, but they also use lasers. But I tell you what, there's something that will cut deeper than that, and that's a, that's a word. That's, that's a word said with strife. That's a word said with, with anger. And oftentimes these types of words are exchanged within households. Okay. That's why in Proverbs 17, verse 1, says it's, it's better to be existing just on the meager amount of food with God's peace there than it is to have a house full of feasting with, with strife. Strife. But the children of the righteous, they have their parents' kindness. Kindness. Why would anyone want to be kind? Well, God commands it, first of all. You know, Paul gives a list of the qualities of love in 1 Corinthians 13, and one of the first ones is love is kind. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. We know that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Kindness is right in the middle of the fruit of the Spirit. So God commands it. But also, we know that God showed it oftentimes. He showed kindness in so, so many different ways. He showed kindness. One that pops into my mind is in Matthew 11, verse 20, when Jesus, he had to um, rebuke several of the cities of his day that were rejecting him. Even with his teachings, even with his miracles, they were rejecting him. Matthew 11, verse 20, he uh, rebukes um, a place called Bethsaida, uh, he, play, he rebukes a place called Chorazin, uh, but he has to rebuke them. But just a few verses later, Matthew 11 and verse 28, uh, he extends to everyone, to them and everyone, a very sweet invitation. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, he says, come unto me and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. He goes on to say, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The yoke that Jesus prepares for us 
is well conditioned. It's not rough. It's not hurtful. It fits us just right. Because the Lord knows exactly what we need. He knows that we need Him. And when we follow Him, that is the very best thing for us. He's extending kindness to us. We were reading together uh, from Exodus 1 this past Wednesday night. and We, we noticed a new Pharaoh that, that came to power who did not know Joseph or respect Joseph. Uh, God, he made the Hebrews uh, do hard labor, rigorous labor. He treated them as slaves. He burdened them with heavy burdens. But in contrast to all of that, the Lord Jesus is so kind. He's so kind and considerate. God is kind to us, of course, in sending Jesus to die in our behalf. God looking it into our situation and the burdens we have with sin, He so much wants us to be able to have victory over sin that He sent His Son to die in our place. And He went to a great deal of effort to make sure that we have guidance through His message and through His gospel and through His word. Kindness. Why should we be kind? Because God commands it, because God has shown it, and we ought to be motivated by that. The Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 4, 31 and 32, that we ought to put away all malice and anger and, and uh, malice and anger and clamor and wrath and, and be kind one to another and tenderhearted toward one another, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven us. That's the standard of life, God in Christ. As God in Christ has worked for us, so we ought to work for other people. So kindness. We have, see, see the, the, the children of the righteous are blessed. They are blessed because they have their example, they have their memories, they have their works, they have the kindness that they have shown. One of the things that we didn't get to this morning in our in our discussion about wise was the reading of Proverbs 31 about the virtuous woman. But down in chapter 31, verse 26, it says, the law of kindness is upon her lips. And somewhere in there it says that not only does she look well to the ways of her household, but she also reaches out to the poor. That's a virtuous woman because she is kind. Finally, this evening, we have their training. We have their training. You see there in your Bible, in Proverbs 22 and verse 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. We have the counsel, we have the knowledge, we have the training of wise and righteous parents. That's how children are blessed. Parents ought to train in the right way, in the way of Jesus. And they ought to do it in a very personal way. Notice Proverbs 22 and verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way that he should go. He should go. And parents must make, make it very clear to their children that their faith must become their own. That it will be their choice. And parents are obligated to provide their children all the truth and all the evidence and all the example they can so that their children will make the proper choice, but in the end, the children must make the choice. Sometimes they don't. Train them up in the way they should go. Some do not go uh, 
that way. But one of the things we can do as parents is to strive and to emphasize continuously, just as soon as they're able to understand words, is that this is going to be your faith. Okay. If you have faith, it must be your faith. It can't, you can't be doing this because mom does it, or because grandma does it, or because your uncle does it, or because a friend does it. This must be your faith. Well, train them up in the way they should go. Proverbs 29:15 says, "A child left to himself brings shame to his mother." Proverbs 17:21 says that the man who has a fool for a son has no joy. No joy. Proverbs 17:21. That's why we must train our children. We won't go any further than this, but I think this illustrates at least how it is. Proverbs 20 and verse 7 says that the children of the righteous are blessed. They are blessed by their parents' example, by the parents' memories, by the works, by their kindness that they have shown, and by the training that they have been involved in. The invitation song is, Do You Know My Jesus? Is that right, Brother James? Do you know my Jesus? That is a tremendous question in that song. Because it gets back to that personal faith. Do you know? Do you know my Jesus? The Lord is my shepherd. Not somebody else's shepherd. The Lord is to be my shepherd. Do you know my Jesus? Is he your Lord? Parents especially, grandparents, as we look at the wisdom from the book of Proverbs, let's especially, especially look at ourselves and ask ourselves, do I know Jesus as I ought to know him? We were thankful to be able to sing about the cross this morning and look at 1 Peter 2 about the cross. So much could be said about the cross. But if the cross cannot move us, then there's not much out there that can move us. Let's stand and sing this song together. Do you know my Jesus? <laughs>